0: This is not a house hunting show on HGTV, but I've still draft titled this episode, Location, Location, Location. There are some genres of photography where, you know, it's feasible. You could just show up and get lucky with an absolutely amazing photo. And nightscape photography generally is not one of those genres. And in this episode, you'll learn how to set yourself up for success Before the action actually happens, hi, I'm Christine Richet, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity art and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Fail to plan? Uh, Yeah, plan to fail is more like it. I like to say that every good nightscape photo that you see has a photographer behind it who planned the heck out of it. Is it possible to just show up at a location and create jaw-dropping images of the Milky Way and the landscape? It's rising up above. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Mm -hmm. Is it probable? (laughs) Definitely not. The thing that I love, 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 love about Milky Way photography is that it is predictable. The Milky Way rises and sets in the same place and you can plan ahead months in advance. You can go to a location and know exactly where the Milky Way will be on, let's say, July 7th, 2065. Or more practically, this fall when the fall colors are popping, or this summer when you have a camping trip planned. If there's a clear night forecasted, you can show up at your location with a degree of certainty that you can capture the composition cap that you scouted out earlier. The, the important part there is the scouting bit. That's the important part. Inside my Milky Way Photography Masterclass, I have a whole module that's dedicated to planning. And I have every student go through this before we even think about shooting. If you listen to episode five, you'll already have an idea of why visiting a place during the day and pre-scouting your location is so darn important. But I want to dig into it. A little bit more because episode five is kind of a lesson on safety. Um, And that follows with our pre-scouting. So I want you to think about how we interact with the world. Our primary sensory input is our vision. We rely on it heavily to inform us about our surroundings. But of course, at night, our vision is working in a severely diminished capacity. So this is like tick number one in go to a place in the daytime first column. You should scout the area during the day to look for any hazards like cliff edges, just say um, embarkments, open wells. I mean, you never know what you're going to find. And doing that exploration during the day means that it will be that much easier to see any potential hazards or issues. Another thing that I really like to pay attention to is cell coverage in a particular area. Now, this may not be an issue where you are, but in Nova Scotia, there are a lot of areas with little to no cell reception. And actually, it varies depending on the carrier that you use. It's why I use the particular cell phone carrier that I do. even People are like, oh, they're terrible. And I'm like, oh, well, they have the most coverage in our province. So there you go. It's really important to know this for our nighttime adventures and to take the appropriate precautions if you're going somewhere without any coverage. Like just yesterday, I was going out to a new spot. And as I was coming up the mountain, perfect, perfect, perfect cell phone reception. The moment I got over the mountains, North Mountain in the Valley, zero reception, gone. Now, funny enough, I the particular spot that I was at, Bay of Fundy, Tide Times, you have to know them. I was there at low tide. I walked out quite far. I got reception as I walked out far towards the ocean. But that's not something I'm going to want to have to deal with in the middle of the night um, and uh, be surprised about. So I don't want to have to be like, oh, maybe if I keep walking to the ocean, I'll get some some self-coverage. I don't know. So it's good to know that beforehand. And if you do go to places that don't have cell phone communication, it might be worthwhile to invest in a satellite communicator. I have a handheld one that I take with me that can send out SOSs. It can do text messages and um, phone calls as well if I get into a situation where it's particularly tricky and we need to get out. Fortunately, knock on wood, I will not have to use that at any point. Um, but that's why you have it. You have it. So you don't actually have to use it being in the position where you need it and you don't have it. Yeah. That's not a good one to be in. So the second reason, reason number one, safety. Reason number two, I am all for daytime scouting is equally as practical, but with a really different outcome. This is not like life-saving or accident presenting, uh, preventing but it's about actually getting better images. So earlier I said, every good night photo has a photographer behind it who planned the live and daylights out of it. Well, it is possible you can create a stunning image just by showing up to a place for the first time ever on the night that you shoot. But like I said before, it's just not probable. The next reason that you should do daytime scouting is to plan your compositions do you think that Michelangelo strolled into the Sistine Chapel the day after the Pope commissioned him to paint the ceiling and he just started throwing paint up whatever, wherever? And it's like, yeah, I I know. I can kind of hear you and you're laughing at me. Uh, You know, I can hear the, I'm not creating the Sistine ceiling, those comments coming in. But we can learn a lot from the masters. Masters like Michelangelo. Or Leonardo da Vinci or Rubens. They were all known to have made countless preparatory drawings before starting a painting. They wanted to do studies of their subjects, they wanted to develop their compositions. Anyone who has done any type of formal art classes, especially with anything drawing or painting, you will have done studies. It's the same for creating beautiful photographs. Answer me this. You are tasked with creating a photo that has leading lines in it that take you to an interesting point on the horizon. No, I don't know who's giving you this task, but just follow along with me, okay? Would you rather try to do this during the day or at night? Uh, Obviously, it's going to be easier to do this during the day because we can actually see, right? You can see with your unaided eye the whole landscape around you as opposed to, let's say, having to use a flashlight at night. And you can take test shots at shutter speeds using a fraction of a second, as opposed to the 5, 10, 15, 30 seconds or more needed at night. I mean, it just, you know, we put it like that, it's like, a, yeah, of course, I should co-train the day. So you're with me. We're going to do daytime scouting trips. You've decided that you A, want to be safe and B, don't want to waste your time. You want to get more out of your nights out under the stars. You don't want to waste the time you have with the Milky Way up in the sky looking lovely by being like, what should I shoot? What composition should I use? Is that a trash can or is that a bush? These are questions that I have asked myself. So how to get the most out of your daytime skating trips? Number one, before you ever even show up to the spot, Like before you get in your car and you go anywhere, you spend that expensive gas money to get there. I recommend doing your research in advance. So use Google Street View, Google Images, Instagram locations and hashtags, as well as Facebook groups, good old-fashioned blogs. Oh my gosh, so much information out there on blogs. People think blogging is dead. It is not. You can find out as much as possible about the area you want to visit. And if you can get in touch with some of the locals, they are your best source of knowledge. Literally, as I was typing out the script for this episode and going through the ideas that I want to talk about with you guys, I was looking at going to a new place in Nova Scotia. And I went into a Facebook group that I'm in and said, Hey, I'm looking at going at this place. Does anyone have any recommendations? Immediately, someone was like, Oh, I have a blog on that and send me a private message and we can chat. So I did. And I ask questions like, are there any pinch points? Because the area that I was going to was an island and there's high tide. So I want to make sure, are there any pinch points, areas where I could get stranded? Things that I don't know because I haven't been there. And I could figure them out going on my own, but it's way better to talk to someone local. And when you are open and nice um, and inquisitive, a lot of times people will talk to you. The second thing to do use your apps. So apps like PhotoPills or Planet Pro, um, and I'll link to them in the show notes here. I prefer to use Planet Pro for its virtual reality function. What that does is it actually lets me see the placement of the Milky Way up in the sky, up against the actual physical topography of the place. Um, I won't go in depth into how to use them here because that's something that's best done by video. But basically, both of the apps will let you see the placement of the Milky Way in a given location, as well as um, when you're on location, you can use the augmented reality feature and see exactly where the Milky Way rises and sets. Now, a quick friendly note here, um, don't try and use the augmented reality function in your car, Uh, you're sitting in a huge hunk of metal and that will completely mess up the functionality. So yes, you actually have to get your butt out of the car and at least walk a little bit away from it. Um, The big difference between Planet Pro and PhotoPills is PhotoPills does not have the virtual reality function that uh, Planet Pro does. So by combining maps, street view images, um, photos from Instagram or photos from Facebook and Planet Pro... I generally am able to have a really good idea of where I want to shoot before I even get there. Then on my actual daytime skating trip, I bring my camera gear with me. Yes, you'll use your phone and the augmented reality function to see, okay, where is the Milky Way? You know, where is it? It's up in the sky. Where at? Which direction? Where is south? Where am I looking? What is life? But the real magic is when you bring your gear with you. And you take out your camera with the focal length on that you want to shoot the Milky Way at. And you actually try out different compositions. Instead of thinking that your phone photos are close enough. They're not. By the way, it is not the same focal length. Does not represent the same. Using your good camera will have you, first up, in photography mode. (laughs) And it's going to force you to consider the images you're taking a little bit more. So, When you're actually out there and shooting with it, you start to like, oh, I'm going to crouch down here and see what it looks like. Or I'm going to get over here. I'm going to tweak this a little bit. And you actually are going to start to almost treat it like your nighttime shoot, but you're doing all the work during the day when it's so much quicker and easier. I know, I know, I get excited. But something else really interesting happens for me when I bring out my good camera with me. Because you see, after just about every photo shoot, When I go home, I load my images onto my computer. I'm scrolling through. I'll notice something that I didn't do at in the field. So like this image here, wouldn't it look better if I had just moved a little bit to the right? Oh, I probably did that. Oh, I didn't do that. Why didn't I do that? I I see this. That should be just a little bit more of my frame and I shouldn't have that on my frame. Why would I have not done that? I don't know why. The answer is I don't know. But it happens every single time I go out and shoot. And if I get that done instead during my daytime scouting and not during the 15-minute exposure that I just took in the middle of the night, well, that's going to be definitely preferable. So then the other things are like little bits and things that you miss in the images. Because I've talked about this before on the podcast. We have kind of this cone of vision and of attention, where, yes, our eye sees everything we're looking at, but our brain focuses us on just the thing that we're paying attention to, and it's the same thing when we're shooting. we don't notice everything, but the interaction with our two dimensional image versus the actual world that we are um, being a part of it's different, and so in a two d image, we're going to see all that stuff glaringly that when we're actually in the real life experiencing it we we don't really notice it, we don't see it so By scouting and taking those shots during the day and then coming and looking at them in the 2D away from the actual experience, it gives you a lot more insight about the overall scene and how you want your images to look at night. So treating these daytime scouting reconnaissance missions like a proper shoot, that allows me to work through my compositions and narrations. Just in a way that is so much quicker. So, so much quicker. Uh, you know, I can take a well-lit photo during the day at 1 250th of a second. Whereas a night photo to get the same luminance levels using an ISO where the fine details aren't all much together. You know, that's like what, a eight minute exposure? I'd rather make mistakes on my short exposure, wouldn't you? Now, when you are actually like out and on location, you want to bring your phone with you. I know who's saying this. Sometimes we forget though, it happens or we leave it in the car. Um, shouldn't do that. People steal it if you leave it in the car, but sometimes it happens. You should bring your phone with you though, because you'll have your app. So planet pro or photo pills, and you can use those to line up your compositions based on the time of the year. Now, pro tip number one, If there is a cool south facing composition, but it doesn't line up with the shot you were planning to take that night or that weekend or that moon cycle, you can use the augmented reality feature to see what it would look like at the end of this moon cycle or the start of the next moon cycle. You can see, okay, maybe I'm shooting in May um, and this looks like it's a really nice southwest composition. So, what is it going to look like in August? And you can actually use the augmented reality to do that. Which then follows up with pro tip number two, take a screenshot of the app. I do this all the time. I take a screenshot of the augmented reality view. Now um, in uh, Photo Pills, it will let you like do a save of it. I, it just takes longer. So I generally don't do that. And then what I do is I go into my map. So I go into my Google Maps or my Apple Maps and I take a screenshot of showing exactly where I am. Now, sometimes I use the app called What three words to be even more exact, um, because that will actually go in and just give you these three words. You can type them in later. It's just a little bit easier, um, than doing GPS coordinates. Um, the other thing that I will do with that is I will take just a regular picture with my phone as well. Sometimes it is hard to see in the augmented reality, exactly what your picture was on. So I like to have three photos in a row my augmented reality screenshot, my map of where I actually am, and then just a regular old picture from my iPhone. Now, I will have better pictures from my camera, but having all of these in a row on my phone just makes it easier to be like, oh, I was in this spot versus this spot. Don't assume that you will remember because you will not remember. (laughs) If you're out on a skating trip and you're going to multiple spots in one location, you won't remember. The next thing to think about While skedding your night compositions is, well, light. At night, we're plagued by light pollution. Yet, during the day, that light pollution is all but invisible. How often do you notice a motion-activated light on a cottage during the day? Yeah, not very often, right? Whereas at night, when you are trekking into the dark, a light blaring on and blinding you will be very noticeable. So if you were going to be shooting anywhere near any kind of built structure, you need to look for lights. For instance, in Nova Scotia, we have tons of beautiful fishing villages. And you can see photo after photo taken over the water with the fishing huts and the boats and the buoys and the bajillions of lobster tracks traps and all of them have like these beautiful sunset or sunrise hues, like the pinks, the oranges, the purples are just so idyllic and nice. And it makes you think, oh my gosh, when a Milky Way photo looks so good there. Yeah. In theory, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Or during a massive power outage, of course, then we generally don't get clear skies without, which is unfortunate. Uh, But the reality is actually very different. And anyone who has been near uh, fishing docks at night will know these areas are lit up brighter than the Griswold's house in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And of course, that makes sense, right? Often fishermen are out before dawn's light and they need to see what they're doing and where they're going on the docks. So there's lots of light, but it will all but ruin your images at night. And there are other culprits too. Greenhouses, farms, cottages, streetlights. There are so many sources of additional light at night that we have to pay attention to during the day because it can break a photo. Sometimes I just wonder about all of this light we're just needlessly putting out in the world. Well, on the one hand, I get it. like Historically, we've been safe by the light of the fire. So now with the ease of installing a few extra outdoor lights, we can extend that feeling of safety wherever we are. But I just think it's, it's false and needless in so many ways. Um, you know, when I am in the light at night, whether it's sitting in my car with the dome light on, getting my things, or hiking into an area with my bright headlamp on, which is needed at the time, given my proclivity for tripping and falling over things, I often feel a bit of fear for everything that's outside of my cone of light. I'm in the light, and everything in the dark is apart from me. And as such, anything could be out there, right? which my imagination will go nice and crazy on. Like, oh, they're definitely beers and coyotes and moose and they're all in the passage and they're waiting to pounce on me, naturally. But then once I turn off my light and I sit in the dark and I let my eyes adjust, it's no longer this like me versus the dark. I become, as the saying goes, one with it. I'm not apart from the environment. I'm actually a part of it. Um, Yeah, anyways, side note on that. Friggin' light pollution everywhere so if you are lucky you will have a place to go whether it's to hike in or to park near that doesn't have any lights around if you're really lucky you'll have some spots around you that you can go to where you're not going to have to deal with all this unnecessary light pollution but more often than not we're going to be shooting somewhere near something that people have built and when that is true you got to case the joint, you know, legally, of course, case it. Take the time to pay attention to the things that we normally gloss over. So do an inventory. Are there street lights? Are there lit pathways, lamps, or lights on fences, docks, pergolas, bridges, lights mounted on the side of buildings, anywhere that someone might want light at night, take the time to look for the light sources that will so rudely enter your frame at night. And then the last reason, that I am all for daytime scouting. It gives me more of a feeling of the place. My locations to shoot are normally ones that I know well, but sometimes I will explore new places that call to me. And when I spend more time in these places, I get to know them better. And ultimately, I think I create a lot better images because of it. So sometimes my scouting during the day might not look productive at all. It might just involve like sitting and listening, and being in the landscape. And you know, some of my fondest experiences have happened when I take the time to slow down and enjoy. So in today's episode, we explored how we can research and learn about the places that we'll go visit, the importance of planning and of scouting ahead of time. I would like to leave you with this last thought today. Most of what we talked about is practical, actionable, like a checklist you can kind of tick off in your head. And if you're anything like me, you like logical things like checklists. But perhaps the most important piece of all is the last one. Remembering that we're doing this for an end result, but there is pleasure and enjoyment that comes from the process. There have been days that I spent Driving around, scouting, hiking little inlets and shores, searching for compositions. Uh, once I remember I was looking for a boat wreck all day long to finally find the, that the remains had been scattered from a recent storm. I remember finding the little pieces of the boat and it all clicking together, and I was like, ah, that makes sense why I couldn't find it. <laughs> I didn't come away that day with any particular locations or future shoots. But it still was a day well spent, even if I didn't fulfill any of the practical capitalistic notions of work on that day. So, thank you so much for coming along on today's episode. And bonus points if you listen to this episode while you were out scouting at a new location. I know, I know, I didn't list the bonus points at the start of the episode, so you can go ahead and do that. But don't worry, because the bonus points actually don't accrue and they actually aren't used for anything except maybe like a small little dopamine hit. (laughs) Now I would love to hear about your ethos around planning and scouting and what are some of the things that you do when you're scouting a new location. Please share a screenshot in your stories with your takeaways or send me a DM on Instagram. As always, thank you so much for listening and I will catch you on the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast episode today. If you're excited about night photography, but you don't know where to start, then listen on. This is for you. Well, hello, it's Christine. I am the host of the After Dark Photography Podcast, and I'm the founder of the Night Photography Academy. And if you don't know me, I have been a professional photographer since 2009 and teaching photography actually since 2008. When I first started teaching photography, it was to students who had excitedly just bought their first ever camera, or maybe who had a digital SLR sitting on a shelf, gathering dust, and they were finally ready to learn how to use it. Now, almost 15 years later, I find the same kind of people coming to me super jazzed about night photography. But frankly, overwhelmed at where in the heck to even start. For one, they haven't mastered using their camera on manual mode, let alone doing things like equivalent exposures, which is really the bedrock of night photography. And if that sounds like you, I have just the thing. I am giving you 100% free access to the first module of my Photography for Beginners Bootcamp. This was a hybrid online in-person class that I taught here in Nova Scotia before the pandemic happened. People would take the class online and then I would run field trips where we would go out and practice together. And I am giving you access to the first module completely for free. Unfortunately, field trips are not at this time available. Imagine that you know exactly what setting is the most important to use on your camera in any given situation based on, you know, what you want to create, what's that vision in your head. And not only that, you know how to do all of that, but you also know how to troubleshoot. So maybe if things look too dark or too bright or too blurry or even too sharp, you will know exactly what to do to fix it and get the image you want. After going through this totally bingeable course, you will master manual mode on your camera and be able to confidently create beautiful images with your digital SLR or mirrorless camera. To sign up, go to christinerosephotography.com slash bootcamp. And that will be in the show notes too. If you just want to do a quick click and hop on over there. Thanks so much, and I can't wait to see you on the next episode.